So once again, welcome everyone. It is a, it's a delight to see all of you. And the way I'd like to begin my reflections this evening is to share with you just a, a very simple quote from this great Tibetan uh, master by the name of Nyosho Ken Rinpoche. He was from the Tibetan tradition. So a little bit different from uh, this tradition of we could call modern Theravada that we mostly teach from. Um, but in, in terms of the 20th century, he was seen as one of the great uh, Dzogchen masters, this uh, particular line of teachings in Tibetan Buddhism. And really a great practitioner and great scholar, and had spent so much time practicing. And not only that, he, he knew about hardship. In 1959, when the Chinese invaded, he had to flee, especially since he was uh, seen as a reincarnate Lama. They were definitely ones that were uh, heavily persecuted. He uh, fled to India with 70 people, and only five of them made it. And there, then he started his, his life in India, begging on the streets in, in Kolkata. And quite amazingly, became this world-renowned uh, uh, Dzogchen master. Just really profound practice. And uh, so many of the Tibetan teachers now of the younger generation look up to him because of the depth of his practice. And I found it interesting. This is uh, the bit of advice that he gave once. I, this might have been on a retreat or something like this. It might have been to this Vipassana teacher, Joseph Goldstein. And he, he said, uh, yeah, I'd like to pass on one little bit of advice I give to everyone. He said, I love this, relax, just relax. Be nice to each other. As you go through your life, simply be kind to people. Try to help them rather than hurt them, try to get along with them rather than fall out with them. So simple, at least that's what it sounds to me, right? This is simple teaching he's giving. Yet, yet I, I find myself imagining that this, this is maybe what sums up the entirety of this practice and even deep practice like he had, coming to a place where maybe I can, I can simply be kind to another person, right? To get along with them rather than to fall out with them, to help them rather than hurt them. Kindness. And I also wanted to share some reflections on kindness. Loving kindness is the main practice that is spoken about in, in uh, at least early Buddhism that centers around this. It's just often you probably notice if this, if you watch the news or you're in touch with what's going on in the world, so much violence, so much hate, whether it be in Myanmar, or the, the DRC or Pakistan or Somalia or the Ukraine, Burkina Faso, what happened in Memphis to Tyree Nichols. 
And it gives my heart hope, also a way forward. Often, you know, sometimes when I can feel helpless around situations. Oh, can I follow this simple teaching from Yosho Kem Rinpoche and to start to feel the depth of it? So this is what I'd like to offer you reflections on tonight is, is this beautiful quality of heart of loving kindness. And I, I want to be talking more about this, uh, the quality of it, more than the details of the practice of it. If, if you're not familiar with the practice, like the details of how to practice loving kindness, um, there's two great websites you can go to, like this dharmaseed.org or audiodharma.org. And if you just search loving kindness, probably hundreds of guided meditations on loving kindness are going to come up freely offered. For me, it's it's been such an important thing to explore and so core. And it was something I didn't even know how much I needed until I was practicing for a while. I remember when so I was uh, doing the, uh, you know, I was a Zen monk for about four years and I was living in a community for about six years. And when I decided to leave, there was a, a lot of reasons where, why I decided to, to leave. I remember one of my brother monks, we were driving somewhere and he asked me, so why are you leaving? You know, what's up? And it was interesting what spontaneously arose at that time is, uh, it even surprised myself, but it, it felt true. It was like, oh, I need more kindness. I need to learn more kindness. This is what I really need to learn. And I'm not saying that that's inherent in all of the Zen tradition. It was just something that was lacking for me in the in the community I was in. And I needed to go elsewhere. And I, I, I was, there was something in me that really felt like, well, this is core. And I can't move on without it. And even when I got more interested in, in insight meditation, I have spent so much time just with that. For example, there was a period of my practice where that was the only practice I was doing for about, I don't know, five or six months. I decided to do that. And then at the end of the six months, I did a month long retreat. So that was 30 days silent retreat where that was the my entire practice every day, you know, from waking up to going to sleep. So important. It was, it was so powerful to take time with this. Not something that I just did a few minutes every day, but to really... Um, dig deep into it. I think maybe that's the other reason why I'm giving the talk is I decided to do another round of just that practice as the core practice. So there's inspiration for myself as well. It's a good way to do that. <laughs> and as I said, the words of Nyosho Ken Rinpoche, did you notice how simple it is just to be kind to one another, to be kind to yourself as well? And as I've explored this realm and I continue to explore it, because I think there's so much there for me, is uh, there's I, I find so much depth and dimensionality to this quality of heart of kindness. Like it just to begin with just the felt sense of that, of what that can uh, be like. You know, on one level, it feels like Sometimes when I'm really in touch with simply being kind or feeling kindness, it can feel like I'm touching something that 
is beyond me, something bigger than me. And just that can feel so freeing. Just that simple act, it can feel vast in some manner, like it has that flavor. And the Buddha uses that word around loving kindness that it's boundless and measurable. And within that, I think it can have even facets in terms of how it feels. Like sometimes when I'm practicing loving kindness, it feels like, you know, I'm doing a practice where it feels like I'm sending loving kindness to someone else. Or sometimes there's a practice which can feel so good, like radiating loving kindness. And in terms of if that's actually happening or not, I don't know. It's the feeling that is so helpful in my life, the felt experience of that. Or sometimes, and maybe you felt this, that I can feel like I'm just a vessel for loving kindness. It simply moves through me and I, I'm just there to open and to allow it to move through. Other times it can feel like a field and I'm disappearing or melting into that feeling. So all these flavors that are there that I feel like stretch the heart towards this teaching that Nyoshua Kendra Bache gives us. And even the tough times of when it's not easy. You know, maybe like, like me, I know there's times where I've wanted to be kinder than I have. And there's been tough times where I have the aspiration, but my heart isn't quite there yet. And it, it, in this aspect, uh, what kind of evoked when I was reflecting on, on uh, this aspect of what I wanted to share with you was this quote from Thomas Merton, where he says, uh, prayer and love are learned in the hour when prayer becomes impossible and the heart has turned to stone. I learn about love in the tough times as well, even when my heart's turned to stone and it feels impossible. Oh, by that challenge, I start to learn about kindness, mostly kindness to myself, that it can be hard. Loving kindness, I, I, I want to share just a little bit of what is it? How is it kind of defined? One definition that I find helpful is, uh, sometimes it's also uh, translated as friendliness. Sometimes the word friendliness works better for people other than kindness or loving kindness. So you have to get a sense of what word use, uh, is used. The, the Pali word is metta. In the commentaries, they connect it to uh, uh, majati, which is to be filled. Um, so it, to me, it, 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 it describes the sense of um, being filled with kindness. Some people connect it with this other Pali word, mita, which means friend. And it's this process of seeing the goodness or lovableness in someone else or yourself and wishing them well. To me, that's the gateway. When I see the goodness of someone, my heart automatically can feel that warmth. So I'm, I'm trying to connect with my own goodness or lovableness and this sense of wishing well. 
So it's a, a way of perceiving. And there's some uh, caveats to remember around this that I find helpful. And the teacher, Sharon Salzberg, points to this. And she says, seeing the goodness in someone, which I was just, does not mean, this does not imply ignoring their difficult qualities or unskillful actions. Rather, we can fully acknowledge these difficulties while at the same time we choose to focus on the positive. If we focus on the negative, sometimes we will feel naturally angry or resentment or disappointment. And yet if we keep the positive in our hearts, we'll forge a connection to the person. And then as we look at their negative traits or actions, we do it as their friend. And I appreciate it, uh, this. It's, it's not being blind to the complexities of human beings and our relationships to them. It's not about allowing myself to be walked over by someone else or to be hurt by someone else. It's noticing the complexity in all of us. There's goodness. And there could also be complications around things that are unskillful or even hurtful. It's not tolerating those things. But it's finding an avenue where my heart can be in a different space to navigate that with them if the opening is there. So I think this is uh, really important. And also another teacher, I remember Ajahn Sumedho said, you know, to feel kindness with someone doesn't mean that they need to be your friend. Sometimes we have difficult relationships with someone, but if my heart can soften, I can relate to them differently. So it's not like, oh, I need to make friends with everyone. And the Buddha is pretty clear about this too around friendship. Often the skill in friendship is where are the friendships that support your spiritual practice or support what's onward leading in your life? And what are the friendships that you can let go of that are just dragging you down? This is part of the practice is reflecting on that. And of course there are relationships that are in our lives where we don't have that kind of choice. But when we do, I think it's an important reflection. And also given the complexity that, at least for me, nobody's perfect. <laughs> Relationships are challenging. And hopefully you're hearing this is slightly different than compassion, at least from this early Buddhist perspective. With compassion, what I'm allowing in is, uh, what I want at the forefront is the suffering of another. Loving kindness, I begin with the goodness. And sometimes, at least in early Buddhism, that's going to be underlying compassion. So they're kind of supporting one another. Then I'm, I'm taking in the suffering of another. I'm, I'm opening to it in a way where I can care about them, not over being overwhelmed, but to care about them in a skillful way. And then skillfully wishing freedom from that suffering for them. And, and there is a power and potency to kindness. And the, the Buddha upholds it quite a bit, the potency of, of kindness. For example, I, I want to share with you a passage which I find interesting. He says, practitioners, 
If someone were to give away a hundred pots of food as charity in the morning, a hundred pots of food as charity at noon, and a hundred pots of food as charity in the evening, and if someone else were to develop a mind and a heart filled with loving kindness, even for the time it takes to pull a cow's udder, I'm pulling a cow's udder viewers on it, it doesn't take too long. Either in the morning, at noon, or in the evening, this would be more fruitful than the former. I find that interesting, especially from a Buddhist perspective, when, where generosity, especially the giving of food, is held in high esteem. But what's even more important, this quality of loving kindness, filling the heart with that, even, even as, long, as long as it takes to pull a cow's udder, if you do it just once in the morning or the, or the evening. And I think from this perspective, because there's a momentum that can happen with kindness in my life. And he says, uh, thus you, sh you should train yourselves as we will develop and cultivate the liberation of heart by loving kindness. Make it our vehicle, make it our basis. Stabilize it, exercise ourselves in it, and fully perfect it. Thus should you train yourselves. And he's pointing to kindness is connected with freedom on this path. And sometimes it's it's understood as a temporary freedom, but it's, oh, this is the taste of freedom from this path, or at least a dimension of it. So it's, it's potent. The other thing about uh, the way loving kindness is spoken about is that it's protective, it protects. And I find this interesting in, in early Buddhism, there were, this might be the only what's called protective charm that the Buddha taught. So during the Buddhist time, there were many mantras or things you could say or kind of rituals that would be a protective charm that many teachers would be teaching. He didn't teach any of those. Basically said, you know, if you want protection, this is how you protect your heart with kindness. There's a the Buddha encouraging monastics to do this around poisonous snakes. And I remember, so when I was in, you know, I did a long retreat, a three-month retreat in Myanmar and Burma. And I ended up hanging out with this, he was a younger monk from Indonesia that was there. And in the kutis that we were in, these kind of little abodes that we were in for the retreat, there would be all kinds of creatures coming in to where you were sleeping, you know, it's just because you know, the, the the way the drainage would work for the the, the sink for the the bathroom. I think it was because of the sink and also the, the 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 way they did the shower just kind of went outside. And so yeah, you you'd meet a lot of different creatures. And it's you know, Myanmar, it's Burma, so there's a lot of different creatures. And so in his bathroom one morning, there was a poisonous snake, and there are poisonous snakes in Burma that are super dangerous. And so he went to the teacher to ask, so what, what should I do? There's this poisonous snake in my cootie, you know, here I am, how do I get it out? And the teacher said, oh, just practice loving kindness. That's it. 
I don't know if it was the best practical advice, but <laughs> there's something about this, about I'm in a different space when I'm filled with kind of a terror of fear that's helping me and a sense of kindness. So I, I want to share with you a story I heard a few years ago. It was actually on a podcast that, that I feel like ex exemplifies this protector of power of kindness more than you might think with poisonous snakes. Even though I do have used it with rattlesnakes, it does feel like it's good, but you never know. <laughs> but I was so struck by this, um, this story. And so I want to share it with you of, of hearing the story. And it happened on a summer night when a bunch of friends got together for an outside dinner. It was like a celebration and it was on someone's, in someone's backyard of one of the friends. And they were celebrating, having such a good time together. And then around 10 PM that evening, something happened that felt like it happened out of nowhere. Here they were celebrating with one another and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this man with a gun appeared at their party. And he held it to the head of one person and then to another person. And then he finally said, give me your money. And here they were, of course, incredibly stunned. And the problem was they were at this dinner party and nobody had any money on them. And the man started to get more and more intense and upset with the situation. Of course, this is happening pretty quickly. And here they are in the midst of this dangerous situation. And then one of the women at this dinner party, like in this completely different voice, like from this completely different space of heart, said to him, hey, you know, all of us are celebrating here tonight. And I'm wondering if you'd like to join us and have a glass of wine. And the guy paused and he took the glass of wine. And she said, oh, and there's some cheese there, some really delicious cheeses, if you'd like some cheese. Starting to take some cheese. And he put the gun back into his pocket. Drank a little bit of wine, ate some cheese. And then the man said something interesting. He said, you know, I think I've come to the wrong place. And then after a while, he said, can I get a hug? And somebody gave him a hug. And then he said, could we have a group hug? And everybody came around him, circled around him, and hugged him. 
And then he said, I'm so sorry. And then simply left. So I want to be clear, I, I'm not saying that this is the answer for all intensely challenging situations like this. And at the same time, I feel like it points to the potency and power of kindness. I don't know if you've ever tried this, to really commit to kindness in a difficult situation. It's powerful. Because often what my mind will do is it goes back to the habit of being afraid and scared, and then I'm going to get angry and hateful. And what I've noticed is it's usually just made the situation worse. I don't know if you've had that experience. And yes, I always want to acknowledge situations are complex. But I find this so powerful to come back to again and again, to have this as a baseline or at least to have the intention of this as a baseline when I interact with people. Because it's almost guaranteed. So many people, they're having a hard time. And if they're giving me a hard time, they're probably having a hard time. Do you hear how kindness has this potential of weaving us together in a way that protects everyone? At the end of that story, everyone was protected. What protected them and interwove them together? Kindness. Maybe most importantly around this is what I found, is that kindness gives me an inner protection. And I think this is really what the Buddha is talking about. This is the magical charm. Because often kindness can protect me from myself, my own mind. Because when I do something unskillful to someone else, I also pay the price. I've just been harmed by my own mind. And again, this is what the Buddha is so curious about is, is how are we interacting with this with our own hearts? This is the curiosity that can come from this path, the exploration. And he, he says this in maybe a bit of extreme terms, maybe not, in this uh, collection of sayings by the Buddha, the Dhammapada. He says, whatever an enemy might do to an enemy or a foe to a foe, the ill-directed mind, the unskillful mind, we could say, can do to you even worse. And whatever a mother, father, or kinsman might do for you, the well-directed mind, the well-directed heart, can do for you even better. And what's one of those well-directed qualities of mind and heart, kindness.
So it has this potency, it has this protective quality. It allows me to be in a skillful relationship with myself and others. It protects me from my own mind. I want protection from my own mind. I end up showing up in the world in a better way. This is what I want to do with my life. It also, for me, when I have this value and I'm, I'm committed to exploring this value and deepening it in my life, it makes my life more meaningful, much more meaningful. And sometimes I play with the meaningfulness of it in ways that deepen it. And, and uh, sometimes uh, what also helps it become meaningful is uh, remembering how I'm situated. How am I situated? Just to be clear, I'm just one out of 8 billion of this particular species that's been on this planet for such a short time, <laughs> super short time. And like other species, will go extinct and or evolve into another species. That's the nature of the type of species I am. One out of eight billion, it's not going to be around forever. This is the way it is. So this species that I'm a part of has such a brief time, a brief interlude in the universe, it really does. Sorry to break the news if you thought differently. <laughs> this is the species you're a part of. And that means even more so for my life. It's so brief. The poet Chesuaf Miwosht hits it well. I, I so love how he gives words to this. He says, the partition separating life from death is so tenuous. The un unbelievable fragility of our organism suggests a vision on a screen. A kind of mist condenses itself into a human shape, lasts a moment, and then scatters. This is what it is to be a human being. It's that evanescence just like a mist that comes and goes. That's my life. And sometimes when I take this deeply in, it, it puts this whole practice in a different perspective. I think sometimes intentions can feel narrow, for me at least. Okay, I, I practice meditation, I practice this path, I have less anxiety and worry, and then I die. <laughs> I practice, I have less depression, and then I die. Even I practice, I have more calm, even more kindness, more mindfulness, and guess what? Then I die. Th that's what happens. And I, I want to point out all of these intentions. I, I'm kind of being a bit crass here, but I, I do feel like, yeah, they have a place at times where they can be inspiring. 
So, so I want to be careful. I'm trying to push the edge a little bit though. The reason I say this is at times I need a different framework for my path and practice. And, and I think it's important to have the skill of fluidly moving through aspirations and intentions. Because sometimes for me, what feels more potent and more alive is having an even smaller aspiration that ends up feeling broader and vaster. And that's to have the intention, the aspiration to love the world, to have kindness for the world just for a moment. To have the aspiration to be kind to that person just in one moment. Or to the dog or to the cat or to the plants or to the river or clouds or the blade of grass or the child or the person in hospice. Because sometimes when I'm, I'm sensing into that, it's like, oh, this is what I loved about the Buddha, just for the time it takes to squeeze the udder of a cow, just a moment. And sometimes when I have this intention, what starts to open up is it feels like I get to touch the mystery and vastness and beauty of connecting with others through such a beautiful quality of heart of kindness. Wow, I, I, I get to live to taste kindness, and that's enough. To feel, oh, it makes this brief life that's so brief worthwhile, regardless how, of how long I live. Life being meaningful through kindness. May we touch the world, may we love the world through moments of kindness. Thank you. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.